This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Andy, you uh, complimented me earlier this week, and I just wanted to acknowledge that, that you thought my piece was really good about the settlement of the one-on-one Ash Street. Now, you didn't do that publicly, and I don't need you to do that publicly. I don't need people to know that you complimented me, but you did. Um, And so I want to repay Yeah, I appreciate you keeping that between us. Yeah, (laughs) but... Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Cobo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Scott, how you doing, pal? Pretty well, thank you. Andrea's off this week, but she wanted me to pass along to you all that she was fine on her plane ride. She, Did- she even speculated that talking about her fear on this very program may have been the key to unlock her fear in other words you all did that Mm -hmm. you did that thank you thank you means a lot coming up on the show this week sports arena without sports i checked in with the three teams bidding to redevelop that site in midway i realized nobody's really done a story just about the plans for the arena itself which is a big feature of the proposed development we'll get into that a little bit and it doesn't seem like the new arena will draw the city a new big league team People need to stop hoping for that, I think, at least in that place. The other thing is, even if you built the world's nicest arena, there's no big league team that was ever going to come here. <laughs> there's so. that. And there's a conservative contractors group that is hinting that it's going to campaign no on all of the ballot initiatives, including one that one of their allies, a conservative city councilman, really wants. We'll break down their plan and their strategy and finally, the battle between beach mares and the county continues. The politics of wastewater, ocean poop is getting more complicated. We're going to explain the latest developments in that story we've been following. We'll get into that. Stay with us. You were on the Kept Faith podcast this week. Mm-hmm. They invited you to do their big 
celebration of the amazing Padres news this week. So just to review, the San Diego Padres, once considered a small market team that couldn't compete in this sort of high payroll world of baseball, have now assembled perhaps one of the greatest collections of talent on a team in modern baseball history. I don't, is that too much? Somebody might say that's overstated, but uh, here in this first week of the new Padres, I'm going to allow it. All right. So they got, they already had a pretty good team with some pretty good people. Right. But they got arguably one of, if not the best young hitters in Juan Soto. Mm -hmm. And they got one of the best first basemen in Josh Bell. Mm -hmm. And then they got this guy from Cincinnati, Drury, who's hitting extraordinarily well, can play all of the positions in the infield. Yeah. And he's having a great year. And then they got the best closer, arguably, over the last, what, five, ten years from the Brewers. By the way, why did the Brewers do that? We don't need to get into that, but it seems weird. Mm-hmm. And they got rid of Eric Hosmer, who you and I both have believed, as the first baseman of the Padres, has really anchored the group. They might argue he was great in the clubhouse and all that, but doesn't feel like he did anything to help them. Yeah, I think it was probably true that he was a, a leader in the clubhouse. And uh, it turns out it's possible to be a toxic leader. Yeah. To to be the person that everyone else takes their cues from and for that to be bad for everybody else. So all of these things happen. We got, and I don't, I can look at the Padres right now and say like, I don't know mm-hmm. that there's anything I want from the Padres more than then the outcomes to now come from this. I can't think of anything I want different other than maybe cheap. I don't even want cheaper tickets. It's fine. Take my money. <laughs> There's going to be some, some folks who are angry about that. If uh, a previous tweet of mine requesting less salad in my to go <laughs> salad plate, this is any indication people were really angry that I was running cover for the uh, capitalist overlords. Yeah. Um, that I, I could have just asked for a bigger box. All right. Uh, on the kept but, faith. But yeah, go ahead. On the kept faith, you they asked you sort of uh, to talk about what this means about San Diego. Uh-huh. Like the that, you know, that we're always trying to be a big city and what did this, this indicate? And I thought you had a really good point. You said, well, I think the moment you say something like we should be a big city or we should do big city things is the moment you acknowledge that you're not at all a big city because <laughs> yeah. no big city says things like that. Right. So I would like, they kind of cut you off and got distracted. I would like to continue with that point for a second. Okay. So for me, what the Padres have done is take capital, money, mm-hmm. and they have invested it in a, in a very impactful way that they have that they basically all these discussions we have about building cool things or having a nice city all of that is a function of capital being invested. And one of the problems with this city is that we have a lot of capital. There are lots of people and institutions with lots of money here. But very rarely do they try to invest it in interesting ways that demonstrate excellence. There's only one other area I can point to, I think, where this happens. And that's the research university and the triangle of development and innovation that's come out of it, right? That's an area where the where capital is being invested in a world-class way, creating like all kinds of different benefits and challenges, right? Okay. And I think like what we've seen is the first 
downtown example of that that I know of where somebody is taking capital and investing in a truly excellent pursuit that rivals big cities and the, and belies the idea that San Diego can't do that because there's plenty of capital to do that with. And we can actually measure the extent of its success in the last three years when the Padres have, or two years I should say, because three years ago you couldn't really go to the games, but uh, in the last two years the San Diego Padres have ascended to the top right. of attendance in baseball. Right. And 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 you could almost so the, all those all those old cliches about San Diego San Diegans having too much to do to attend sporting events have have been simply proven wrong by the sheer investment and and the demonstration that if you put the money into the product and the and the product becomes truly excellent people will in fact recognize that excellence. But it's wholesale too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the venue. Mm-hmm. It's what it represents about like all the different parts of San Diego. Yeah. It's their ability to like handle the branding, the food, everything to, so to to design and roll out these sorts of uh the City Connect jerseys that are beloved and now like absolutely prolific in yeah. in this town right now. Within like 2 weeks. Yeah. And the it it just sort of belies this idea that that there is even a small market in baseball, which makes me wonder. And there was somebody pointed out like, "Hey, I think one of the groups that's most frustrated by this are all the other sort of small market baseball teams that are using that as an excuse not to make these investments across, including your own Baltimore Orioles." Right? Don't get me started. Sorry, but let's just. I just want to say, like, I think it. There's, there's either one of two things happening. One is that they actually make a lot of money when they do all this stuff right. Yeah, to be clear, the, the San Diego Padres are outrageously profitable right now. Right. Well, do we know that? I think we have a good sense of that. Yeah, and so so either that you can invest in this and make plenty of money to keep investing yeah. in it, yeah. or the owner, Peter Seidler, is just like blowing his legacy wealth, and it's fine because he has so much of it. Yeah. But either way, both of which are great, right? But I I think if it's the former, which is that you invest in something and it's so cool that they just get more money, Mm -hmm. like what a great endorsement of investing in cool things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and what if we did that uh, elsewhere in other pursuits? Yeah, (laughs) it might be cool. Yeah. So that's that's my bigger take. Okay, on what you said the other day. uh, I like it. Okay, I like it. I uh, I think. That's a, that's a more fully fleshed out idea than I was going to express the other night. So, uh, well, well done. Also, mm-hmm. when Juan Soto gets up to bat mm-hmm. and he does the thing where he like basically flexes at the pitcher with yeah. his entire body mm-hmm. and says, "Go ahead, throw another pitch," even when he's down like O two or something. Yeah, that's awesome. And adds to adding that to like the Tatis and the City Connects and the Machados. That's just a cool place with cool people right now that I want to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Petco Park is the, it's, it's a very enticing location right, right now. Watching the game last night was just like, this is a, a really wild thing to be happening in this here little city of ours. You have breaking news this week about the housing commission. You uncovered 
several months ago. The, a year ago. It's like 14 months ago. Really? Yeah. It's that long? I have no sense of time yeah, anymore. 15 months maybe. That yeah. the Housing Commission had agreed to purchase two hotels. One of the hotels it paid way more for than the market might have demanded. And it turns out the broker they were using for that transaction had invested in the hotel company, the company that owned the hotel before that sale was finalized, but after it had been agreed to, and he made a bunch of money from that investment. And the city believes that was bad, and we seem to agree that that seemed questionable. Yeah. And the city attorney sued him, and there's been a development. Yeah, the city attorney announced abruptly this morning in a press release that uh, she has uh, negotiated a settlement with that that broker uh, wherein he will return $1 million that he received in fees, like 800000 of which will go to the Housing Commission. The rest will go to uh, the, the the city of San Diego, um, and which basically putting this to bed. And um, as City Attorney Mar Elliott says in her press release, taxpayers will be made whole based on the return of those that commission, that fee that Does, he collected. And so this, the legal issues between him and the city are kaput. It's done. Yeah. I mean, so now there this was um, ostensibly, uh, you know, based on documents that we obtained and reported on. Um, this was referred to the district attorney for potential pro prosecution. Uh, we never heard anything about that. District attorney doesn't discuss potential prosecution. So um, I think... Wouldn't that be great probably, if she just texted us updates about it, that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I think at this point it's been a year and a half. It's probably not going on. We have not received any additional indication that that's going anywhere. So, yeah, this, that would probably put this to bed. Now, the, the what the settlement doesn't touch and what is not said in the press release is whether um, we – because the city acquired that hotel and after the settlement will continue to own that hotel. Um, what it doesn't discuss is whether the city paid the right price for that hotel. Now, the the particular detail that, that stood out to us was that if you got the when we got the appraisal for the two hotels that the city bought simultaneously, one of them, the one that Jim Neal, the broker, had bought 40,000 shares in the corporate owner of, had a backdated appraisal date. The, the date of the value in the appraisal was returned to the beginning of 2020 prior to the onset of the pandemic. Did the pandemic have any impact on hotels? It did, yeah, because uh, discretionary travel was uh, against the law. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally hotels. illegal. <laughs> and in fact, it was the, the logic of acquiring hotels for homeless housing. So backdating yeah. the value of the hotel From to before their value was historically <laughs> magnificently changed yeah. by a, a once in a hundred year pandemic and the restrictions that came from it yeah. is an interesting decision to make. And in the language of the appraisal that, that, that did that, spelled out that it had substantial impact on the value, right? <laughs> yes. And the, the other hotel that the city bought at the same time, one in Mission Valley, which Jim Neal, he, you know, he, he negotiated the purchase of both of these, but he did not invest in the corporate owner of the other one. That one did not have a backdated appraisal. That one date. just had a 
appraisal based on the reality Ruff, of roughly the- compar- comparable to the time that they were purchasing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the concern here is that the the city paid too much for that, and in in that case, the return of one million dollars in fees would not make taxpayers whole. No, so. Um, that was unaddressed in the city attorney's uh, press release. I asked the city attorney's office, you say here that you have, that this will make taxpayers whole. Does that mean you have concluded that there was no, there were no issues with the appraisal? And uh, I was told basically, yes, that they, that the city attorney's office looked into the appraisal and found no irregularities. (laughs) Okay. There you go. Mm -hmm. The big breaking news about the housing commission. Good job, dude. Appreciate it. Andy. Yeah. So I didn't know this, but you know how when a concert goes to an arena, apparently one of the big things they have to deal with is the the trucks that the concert or the WWE event or whatever. The load-in. The load-in is a big part of how they decide where they're going to go, how much it costs, whether it's going to be worth it, all of that, right? Yeah, all so industry for this stuff. There's Yeah, and so they pull if they have docks to pull up to mm-hmm. and unload... They can do a lot of bigger shows and a lot of bigger acts will do it. If they if it's too much trouble, they'll skip the town. Mm-hmm. The sports arena does not have this docking situation. It's a ramp. And all of the the IATSE workers, the, the stage Famous workers. scene shot on that ramp. Right. Right on that ramp. That very ramp. Describe what you're talking about. Oh, the film Almost Famous. Right. Yeah, the, the, the meeting of, of uh, William and Penny Lane. Takes that's place right. on the on the ramp. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's where the stage workers say most of their injuries happen. It's a big pain in the butt. They got to go up and down that ramp. So that's one of the things I learned as I delved into this like three plans to replace the sports arena. I don't think people have quite realized that the city has has decided now mm-hmm. that the sports arena, famous in that movie, the site of the nineteen I think seventy five Final Four. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The um, it's going to be gone if the city gets its way. That the the city has decided that it will bulldoze the place, and uh, the three bidders who want to take over that redevelopment of that area all want to build a new one. Now they all want to do a different one. The the lead bidder, uh, Midway Rising, wants to build a gigantic new arena, but not big enough for. NBA or NHL to be in? So uh, NHL and NBA arena size at this point is what, like 25,000? No, it's like 18, 18. 19 minimum. Okay. Um, but apparently, and I learned this too, like the you can build like up to 14, 15, sometimes 16, but once you, but the next 5,000 seats or so mm-hmm. are, are very expensive because you have to do a whole new level, a whole new like and buttress for it and everything. It's a big pain. So that's where a lot of the cost, cheapest seats, most of the cost. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they're all kind of keeping it here because the city said, we're not going to give you any subsidy for this. If you want to build this, like you're going to have to pay for it yourself. And they have all decided that the only way to pay for it really is not with sports, mm-hmm. it's concerts and stuff. Great. And so uh, rounded up all of the different... Um, this being the case, somebody really needs to go back and and fish out 
the uh, audio of, of Eddie Vedder during a, a Pearl Jam performance in, uh, I believe I was told, 98, mm. uh, where he, he allegedly tells the crowd that, uh, you know, he's been to many, many concerts at the sports arena and he has no recollection of ever seeing any sports at the sports arena. <laughs> and so as far as he's concerned, they bet as well rename it the Rock Arena, the San Diego Rock Arena. Perfect, perfect, because yeah. I, I wish you would have told me that before my story because that oh. could have helped with the headline. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that's that's what they're all going for. So the, the second place team, the hometown San Diego team, mm-hmm. they, from like Monarch developers, uh, uh, the JMI, that's the group that built uh, Snapdragon Stadium and they've helped coordinate, obviously, Petco Park. They want to build the arena in that area, but they want to build a much, much smaller one, like 10,000, 8,000 seats. 8,000? Yes. Wow, that is small. Yes. That is hardly not, even an arena. Did you read my piece? At 8,000, I don't know. Like, definitionally to me, I think we begin to really get performing arts center type. Yeah, that's like, that. I don't know that I would call 8,000 an arena. Well, he made a very, so this is Eric Judson from uh-huh. that group. He's like, Point Loma doesn't need a big arena. They're not, we need to fit it into the community. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is designed to appeal to Point Lomans. Yeah, okay. And uh, so there's that. And then the third one, this is the Midway Village Plus. Mm-hmm. They want to build one kind of in the middle, the 14 to 16,000. Now that's an arena. Yes. That one I think we could fairly term an arena. Right. And so I asked all of them if this was the place you would put an arena. Yeah. If you were like looking at San Diego. And they were and like, they were like, they, they were like, the mayor said it needs to have an arena. That's exactly what they said. They're like, they're like, yeah, this is going to work. And the city's decided this is where it's going to be. We are replying to a request for proposals that had bulleted list of things that are included and one was arena so so yes we think it should have one right all right so check that out i uh, wanted to round up and understand how that's all going now all of that is de- is dependent on the lifting of the midway height limit right now west of the i5 you cannot build higher than 30 feet and they, the city council decided last week, among many other things, mm-hmm. to put the height limit extent or uh, abolition for Midway back on the ballot in November, sponsored by Chris Kate, the only Republican on the city council. It's back on the ballot. Remember, there was some question about whether they would do that or not. It's going to be in November. Now, Chris Kate got furious when he heard that the Associated General Contractors a conservative you know, group, alliance of contractors. There's the AGC, them, and then there's the ABC, which used to be the most hostile to unions. Mm-hmm. They, but, they went through a, a rebrand maybe five years ago? I think three. Seven? Okay. Um, three? I think it was three. Okay. Where they've, they've now said like, okay, we can work yeah, with we unions. Can, yeah, we'll figure exactly. this out. Yeah. Uh, AGC's been a little bit more still hardcore about that. Mm-hmm. And they're mad about yet another ballot measure that the city council is putting on the June ballot. And that is a basically a repeal of the 2012 Proposition A. Do you remember this one? I do. I covered it. Yeah, that's right. At the Daily Transcript. At the Daily Transcript, yes. yes. It, it, has, it has at times been called a ban and other times been called a... Uh, not a ban. Right. <laughs> it's been... It's been uh, it, 
it keeps the city from requiring that uh, a large public work project have a project labor agreement. Right. So a project labor agreement says if you're going to build like an arena mm-hmm. that... Or a large water filtration system. Right. Uh, re- if the city required that that be done by this project labor agreement, basically it's saying that the contractor has to make a deal with local labor unions that says all the work is going to go through your labor union. Mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be union members, but they'll have to pay the same benefits and such. Mm-hmm. And in exchange, those groups will promise never to shut down labor work on that site. Yeah. And uh, they will guarantee that there's labor available. Right. And in, and the non-union contractors do not like this. They say it mucks up the process. It's a, it causes inflexibility and, um, of course, makes them pay more. Yeah, I mean, they often call it, like, discriminatory. Right. They, right. Like, one of the groups is the black contractors, and they're like, look, this keeps our workers out of there, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So they, the Proposition A said, you are not, as a city, requ- are allowed to require those on those. Co- now, the contractor could still do it, right. as we've seen. After that happened, the state passed a law that said that if a city has a a requirement like this or a ban like this, it will limit the funds that it gets from the state for infrastructure projects. Which was a law that was passed by sympathetic lawmakers specifically to change the leverage dynamics at the city level where conservative groups had succeeded in passing these sorts of bans and they didn't like it. Right. So this was... uh, Often you'll hear, you know, people like local elected Democrats discuss the state law as if it was like, well, like, that's the rule, like a thunderstorm. Yeah, like some <laughs> an act of God. Yeah. Act of, it, they asked their friends in the state legislature to pass this law so that they could then say they have no choice but to overrule this ban that they didn't like in the first place. Yeah, this came to a head, as you mentioned, with the giant pure water project, the goal to get 30% of our water from our uh, recycled water or wastewater mm-hmm. turned back into something we can use. Yeah, That's a massive spending project. Yeah, the biggest infrastructure project <clears throat> in state history. <clears throat> in order to get the needed support for it. You needed, well, to in, first to, to build it, they needed state loans and and financing vehicles. And to get that, they needed to uh, appease labor unions who have a lot of state power, as we've just described. Yes. And so former mayor, Republican, Kevin Faulkner said, okay, we'll put in language there that mimics some of what you want in a project labor agreement. Yes. They basically reverse engineered a PLA that wasn't a PLA because it didn't say like PLA in bold letters right. on the top of the, the package of paper, but otherwise was. But it said you'll use our, you know, a, a skilled apprenticeship yeah. program, yeah. things like that, that only the unions do. Right. The group, Associated General Contractor, we just described, they sued and said that's a project labor agreement that you have required on this. And they got a settlement out of it. But part of Proposition A said... You can require a project labor agreement if it's required for access to state or federal money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so in order to require the language that they described, Mm -hmm. they passed another law at the state that says you can't 
have this money unless you require a project labor agreement on this project. Yeah. And so that... It's just people using whatever political capital they have at their disposal at whatever level of government they have it to go back and forth on whether they want these agreements or not on these types of projects. So this is... For about the last 15 years. So now both sides use this. The Associated General Contractors say, look, this proves Proposition A works because it has this exception that you just used through this law. All of your concerns are about the threat of lost money and you've never lost any money. The only project that's this ever been relevant for, we're building. Now, just to be clear, they sued they to stop sued that to law stop. too. They tried. They tried <laughs> to now, say you're breaking the law, but now they're like, see, it's fine. And now it's, it shows it works. Yeah. Okay, that, and now the other side uses that and says, look at how hard and weird this is. Now we need to repeal this law. We're going to put it on the ballot. So that gets you up to speed for today. <laughs> This is all background. <laughs> so <laughs> now yeah. the Associated General Contractors wants to oppose this removal, repeal of Proposition A that's on the ballot in November, right? Yeah. In order to do that, they have been going around town making a presentation that includes the idea that they would campaign to say no on all the ballot measures that are going to be on the November ballot, including this one, the repeal of Proposition A including the other big one we haven't had a chance to discuss, which we should on a future episode, which is the trash tax. Mm-hmm. Right now, uh, a lot of single-family homes get free. Or Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. <laughs> Please don't email me. They get no special fee yeah. trash collection, yes. while a lot of other people who live in apartments mostly have to pay a private hauler for their trash collection. Yes, well caveated. Thank you. So that is also on the ballot. They're going to oppose that. And the third one, the height limit uh-huh. removal for Midway. They've gone around town saying, we'll just say no on everything. That'll be great. People will understand that. We'll say no on everything. It'll wrap up the people who are no on the height limit. They'll get, we'll get some more votes from that. It'll be great. Now, Chris Kate heard this and said, I'm with you on the contractors thing, on the labor thing. But how dare you come at me? About this, he said, I'm aghast. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's horseshit. He, he was very clear that he, he was okay with that word coming into the, the August politics report. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I he have said, more questions about aghast than shit. But <laughs> <laughs> he says, if you're going to be running an opposition campaign to measure E, you're going to go against friends. I was not told they were going to be doing this. I've always been open and honest with people, and I would rather be told to my face that they're going to come at something I've worked on like this. And also, it's construction. It's a lot of construction jobs, a lot of housing jobs. That's the bigger thing. It's like, what are you doing as a construction contractor alliance that supports development? So can you tell me their calculation here? Are they they hostage-taking? Or do they just think that it's it's, it's good strategy? to A, have a simple message of no on everything and B, to bring in these groups that you might not otherwise get on your side by, you know, banding your, your measures together? What, 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 what's their thinking? Or are they trying to say, hey, you, Todd Gloria, Chris Kate, Shawnee Lo Rivera, who want this height limit thing, it'd be a shame if something happened to it. I think there's a little bit of both. I think yeah. that on the one hand, they've, they're like, this would be great. People understand no on everything. They already kind of say no on everything when there's too many 
things on the ballot. So we'll just indulge that. We'll just support that. It'll help us repeal this. Now, and he says, uh, Eddie Sprecco, the leader of the Associated General Contractors, he said- Nice guy. (laughs) Yeah, we've dealt with him a lot. He says, uh, look, it's just a campaign strategy. I don't have any beef with the height limit. In fact, I supported removing it before. (laughs) He said, quote, it's just a strategy, just an approach. It's got nothing to do with the other ballot measures. But if there are no votes out there, as in like, quote, no votes- then why not hit them with the triple no appeal? And he said, uh, look, a lot of people already feel that way. And look, I'll also just keep it to areas where the no on the height limit is going to be appealed. So it's not going to have any effect on the rest of the stuff. Like you don't have to worry about this killing your height limit proposal. It's just going to goose votes to people who already oppose it, which is, I guess, one way to do it. But then he said, I, I, I mean, to think you have the ability to like calibrate your message that that precisely it strikes me as like clinton 2016 campaign levels of hubris but (laughs) okay but then he said then he did kind of indulge the the hostage taking thing he said he said quote if they're that concerned about it they shouldn't have let the attack on proposition a on the ballot okay so there you go as if chris kate could have stopped that with his yeah i mean he voted against it right (laughs) yeah Yeah. his lone vote on the city council you should have stopped it chris kate yeah all right. Anyway, that's what's going on there. Great. Little, little peek behind the curtain of how politics works. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Mackenzie Elmer has been doing a great job on um, the situation with poop in the water in mostly South Bay, um, in the ocean, and uh, its impact, and how they've studied it. They came up with a new technology for measuring it. This caused a lot of consternation. Richard Bailey says, you got to go back to the old Petri dishes because your DNA test is messing with our mojo here in Coronado. People are 
you put up your sign saying there's a lot of poop in the water. It's 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 a little bit of a downer on swimming in the water. <laughs> you have a five star hotel here, yeah. <laughs> folks. Can you uh, respect our our <clears throat> our goals here? And it's a little weird because summer there's never been a problem, right? And or not, you know, we know what happens when it rains in the winter, but the summer we've, we've usually been okay. We don't have any indication there's a bigger problem. But then Mackenzie Elmer just this week discovered that a vast spill of sewage from Tijuana had happened, that the pipes that carry sewage to the troubled Punta Bandera plant, where they basically just pump it out to sea, farther out to sea, that the the pipes that carry the sewage to it burst after a repair, caused I love how her she loves doing this. The geysers of sewage to spill and erode an, uh, uh, the side of a hill. Uh-huh. And all of that, millions of gallons of sewage poured into the Tijuana River. Yeah. And that plume was heading north. And she got in an argument, I think, with the, the county, wondering if they were going to close beaches because of that. Yeah. And they were a little hesitant to acknowledge. Right? Yeah, they were uh, just very terse response. It was basically like, well, if because they've set up this standard where if they have visual evidence of a spill, then they will they will react accordingly. Right. But they they must have that visual evidence. And so she, after the knowledge of this very large spill became public, asked whether there would be any sort of closures as a result. And they tersely told her, sort of just reiterated the standard to her rather than helpfully answer yes or no, we are going to close the beaches or not. It's like a, a very, very like. Why are they being so weird about this whole thing? Yes. Yes. Like they, was, they came up with a test that shows the water is now much more dangerous than they thought it was. And, but they're like, well. Resulting in actions that they had not had to take before that have significant economic repercussions and possibly significant public health benefits. Right. Um, but but in either case, are or, or if they're wrong, like they need to redo their entire but, new system. But the baseline reality here is that lots has changed in Southern California beach culture in the last six months on account of these tests. It's a perfectly normal thing to ask them to describe to us and, and to discuss. It's 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 obviously newsworthy content. So they were hemming and hawing about whether they were going to close any beaches because of this spill, or at least whether they were going to tell a reporter who asked them about it <laughs> after she traveled to see the spill. So as we're posting the story about the spill and what caused it, yeah. they announced that they're going to close <laughs> close the beach in Imperial Beach. Yeah. We had a water contact closure in Imperial Beach. Yes. <laughs> Put out on a press release. <laughs> yeah. So you picked up on something we were we were talking about. So we reported earlier how Imperial Beach endorsed the new test and said, look, it proves things are worse than we thought they were. You need to fix this problem yeah. in the cross-border environment that's been a crisis for decades. Please do something about it. Yeah. And the difference between that and the Coronado mayor's response, which was like, your test is clearly fake news. Yeah. You should go back to the old test because that was better mm-hmm. because it didn't make us close our beaches. Yeah. But then there was a twist. 
the mayor of Imperial Beach, who is not the actual boss of the Imperial Beach staff, to be clear. He's yeah. one of, what, five city council right. members. He's un- unlike the mayor of the city of San Diego, who is the boss of the city of San Diego staff. He joined Richard Bailey, the mayor of Coronado, in a letter to the county saying, stop with this test. Right. And then the county supervisor for the area, Nora Vargas, is like, I thought you wanted more clarity about how bad things were. We've been working on that for decades. Yeah. What are you doing? Right. So, I mean, it would seem to me that if you're Imperial Beach, that the region has generated its indifference to your plight time and again for the last few decades. Decades. This is not a new issue for you. It hasn't been solved despite it being a, a persistent issue for you. You've asked for help for a long time. You've asked the federal government. You've pleaded, asked the regional implored, government. Pleaded, begged, yes. protested. <laughs> yes, argued. Yes. Uh, and it just hasn't come. It would strike me that if there was some sort of new test of some kind that enlisted a well-to-do neighbor with a resort culture that draws people from all over the world into your plight, that that would be to your benefit. Mm-hmm. That that you might have just gotten from the you know the the cul-de-sac at the end of California that no one cared about what happened to you to now a a, a party in a multi-city concern about the cratering of a major tourism economy. It would seem to me that this test is a is good news for Imperial Beach, mm-hmm. which I guess is basically what Nora Vargas is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't. Maybe I there there there's got to be another angle here that I'm not. I, I mean, I think Serge's argument. This is Serge, the mayor of IB, is that you got to have data that people believe in to yeah. be able to make the case on a broader level. And if people don't believe that this is an accurate reflection of the danger in the water, mm-hmm. then that's okay. And I think McKenzie is starting to dig into the origin of like these thresholds that they set mm-hmm. because it, remember it comes from that same thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. Like if there's enough bacteria that in a, out of a million people or a thousand people, like 30 of them get sick, right? Yeah. Then that's the threshold you cross. But how do you determine exactly when that's going to happen is actually a really involved and deep and long history that is not necessarily something we we quite understand and can verify. So follow that. That story and all of our environment stories are at vosd.org slash environment. That's vosd.org slash environment. McKinsey's done a great job following this storyline. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this extended area of the little neighborhood known as Little Italy. Probably not Little Italy, but it's close and thus definitely Little Italy. Get the newsletter for the show and all of our great columns at vosd.org slash newsletters. That's vosd.org slash newsletters. You can get the politics report, Fine City. North County Report, and more. Again, vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 